We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And welcome to Land Decolonized, a podcast for First Nations leadership, staff and community members concerned with the governance of reserve lands outside of the Indian Act. On this episode, you'll meet Chief Gordon Planis, a longtime advocate for expanding the land code across Canada. Chief Planis says our real university is the mountains and our teachers are the animals which is why he says controlling Indigenous land is critical to saving the environment. And joining me now from Sauk Nation of the Coast Salish people is Chief Gordon Planis. Chief, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, it's great to be here. We uh, we are going to talk about land code. I know that's near and dear to your heart, but maybe uh, if you don't mind, just a little bit of personal background. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with your territory, maybe put it on the map for us. Okay, uh, I'll start with uh, my traditional name is Haikwacha, and uh, named after my great-grandfather from Chianoch, the Salmon people. I live in the village of Siosin, uh, overlooking the northern straits, what they call the Straits of Juan de Fuca today. Uh, Siosin in our language means the sounds the pebbles make when they're being washed up on our shores. So I get to hear the rocks as they go up and down the beach. And it's really, uh, um, the village has been here since time immemorial. And it was because of the fish trap just uh, inside the kelp bed. And all of my uh, relatives and my brothers and sisters live in the village. And we're quite a tight-knit community. Uh, The other village, uh, very easy to find. All you have to do is go to the mouth of the Salmon River. And we call it Big River. Others call it Souk River. And we have our village there. And so both communities are about, I don't know, you can uh, 50-50 split. We have a lot of young youth now, um, uh, which is really good. Uh, And also in saying this, um, I've been chief, elected chief in our our community here in South for the last 12 years. And I just got elected into another four-year term. And, uh, you know, we're... We're just setting the table around here in our territory for future generations. And I think that's a few words I can say towards land code is in regards to the governance structure. Right. When you come to our territory, you'll, you'll, you know, we are the salmon people. So, you know, uh, we relied a lot on the ocean and we still do today. We're following the footsteps of our ancestors in that regard. And when you think about the environment, in our uh, natural laws, the environment comes first and taking care of everyone in your territory is utmost. And uh, with those kind of laws, uh, we follow them. Um, the creator takes care of us. Mother nature takes care of us. Uh, and um, uh, we teach those to our children because, uh, you know, you can't live on this planet unless it's in good shape. And we always go by that uh, rule that's very old, and uh, we still live by it. 
So Well, I did see you speaking about the importance of uh, that ancestral custom of looking forward seven generations or 100 years. And I mean, that ties into why you probably pursued the land code. Well, the thing is, is, is you know, when you, when you want to make decisions in our village, villages, I should say, they, they need to be followed. We have to have a way of being able to live together that will be consistent where our, our kids can follow it and, and learn from it and get better. So we laid the foundation, and it's not just land code. It's, it's our constitution. Like you, you, our constitution's been here since time immemorial, and uh, we always had a good governance system in place before contact. And that was done hereditary, and that was taken away from us uh, from from uh, the federal government. We adapted, and we see land code of, as coming in to help us, you know, govern ourselves, but also to prepare ourselves to organize ourselves and do things that that have benefit for all South membership and a way that for us to uh, go forward in a good way. So if you think about that in the seven generations, we have a hundred year plan and uh, making that hundred year plan is, is that in a hundred years from now, the, the environment's going to be better than it is today. And, and the only way we can do that is teach our children. Land code gave us the tools to organize ourselves to do that very thing. So that's that's where we're going right now. So what was it about the Indian Act that was a real problem for your community and had you look at the land code option? Well, I think, you know, like like we, we signed in the land code in 2006, but when you think about the legacy of the Indian Act, I think what happened back in, in the Elders' Day, um, you know, they were powerless. Uh, you know, you know, my my elders told me they couldn't even get past grade eight because they weren't allowed. So, you know, back then was a different day. Uh, a lot has changed in the last, I've seen it in the last 20 years, how, uh, you know, we've been empowered. Uh, we're making uh, decisions that are based on historical decisions of our ancestors, the way we should manage our territory. So what we're doing here with the federal government is we're getting tools to do things with traditional knowledge and Western science. And with, with the Indian Act, I think what happened is you have people in Ottawa that tries to manage First Nations all over Canada. And over 600 nations, that's hard to do when you're, when you're in an office somewhere else. And I think now, I think it brings us more together to to be able to uh, learn from this and get better. And I think that's the key. Every day we get better. And I think those tools that help us do that is Lampoon. Yeah, uh, I looked... It's very good. You actually have your 50-page land code up on the website, and I, I took a quick look at it and went through some of the areas. And you're protecting things like against expropriation. Uh, you're able to protect heritage sites. Uh, can you drill a little deeper down into that area? Well, you see, what happened back in the day, you know, first contact, 
you know, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions from first contact. Number one is uh, we signed a treaty in 1850 on a premise that we were going to share the resources and manage the resources together. Uh, that changed when they put us all on uh, Indian reserves and then they extracted resources for another 170 years. So a lot of those resources are gone. Uh, the food forest, what we called one day, is called a tree farm license. So we got to get it back to a food forest. Uh, the other part is, is the depletion of the salmon, which is so we are the salmon people. And uh, we're not just dependent on the salmon. The southern resident killer whale is as well, and we share it with them. That's a part of our culture is to make sure they have enough. Uh, so in regards to that going full circle, I just see it as the legacy of the Indian Act held us down, made us powerless. Now we're starting to get being able to make those decisions on our own that matches well with our community. And, you know, I'm not... I'm not being negative against, you know, what happened to past governments and what happened to us. But the thing that you need to understand is that a hundred years ago, that was then, uh, 2020 is now and how that relationship has changed over time. Uh, everyone can see it. So they're learning from it. I think you're going to see a value from First Nations being under land code because of their governance structure is going to be strong. And those decisions that we make are gonna be done at the speed of business. And before that, what that was not possible under the Indian Act with their controlling every aspect of our Indian reserve. And, and now we can do things that we probably never thought we could do before because we know it would take too long to get to point A to point B. So we're on a good track. We're in a good place. We're moving forward. We're uh, preparing our young ones to, you know, take on that role. And, and I think that's the, the legacy piece that's coming from Lancode. And I think in the old days you could, I mean, the timing of any initiatives that you wanted to undertake could be seriously affected by things like a ministerial shift, a federal election that could set things back one or even a couple of years. I know other communities have said that. Yeah. And, and you know what, uh, what it's done is just drive, drive business away. There's uncertainty there. And I think we're all trying to reach that place of certainty. The other thing about governing yourselves is that, you know, as South people, we govern our membership in a way that it's done respectfully. And, uh, uh, you know, we're doing something that, that uh, it, it is approved by the community. And it gets better all the time. And also, it's something that other members cannot take advantage of. Uh, in regards to your governance structure, if they want to come in and make those changes, uh, you know, you're going to have to talk to the whole community and ask why. So those protective mechanisms are very important. So we're talking internal governance, and then you're talking about external governance. So what we've done is we've set the table quite well for future generations and how we conduct our business at home. I was. I want to follow up and talk about um, green energy because your community has been developing quite a reputation. And uh, I first saw a YouTube video of, of you driving in a car with the Federal Minister of Natural Resources, uh, much like the comedians in cars 
model of TV shows. Uh, why uh, did the land code impact, or was that helpful at all in moving towards cutting energy use, but also moving to solar voltaic? Well, if if I can just mention right from the get go, uh, you know, when we did a project after we got into land code, one of the first projects we wanted to do it, it was an economic development. It was we wanted to do a project for our children. And so that's why we got into alternative energy and the light footprint approach and be able to build on it because we know, and this is something that, you know, we have to ramp up now because of the changing world is that we have to teach our children from, from a very early age to prepare them for what's coming next in the next 10, 20 years. And what doing this approach is what they're going to do is they're going to pick it up when they get to that graduation stage to say, what can we do to do better? And in regards to alternative energy, I think it's in its infancy. I think we need to look at a light footprint, even in food security, energy security. Um, I want clean water in a hundred years. Can we really say that that to be true in a hundred years from now? I think we need to work on it now. If you're going to ensure a good environment for the future, if we do all these different things in our territory like if we know we have cultural health we know we have good governance with land code with our people that that are are you know they they ensure that that they have their voice the land code if you know that you have a, a healthy culture with your language that you keep those uh, natural laws that our ancestors left for us they will guide us and the other principle is those guiding lights of uh, uh, laws that our ancestors gave us, it sets the table for all of these light footprint approach like alternative energy, food security, uh, 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 healthy food forest, and all, the ba- all, all of the animals and everything from the ocean to the highest mountain peaks will share in the bounty. And that's all it is. It's so simple. For us to live here, and uh, our, our, our university is the mountains, and it's already built. And the animals teach us, and the, everything teaches us. Those are the true teachers, and we're not taking advantage of that. So I think we need to get back to that. You mentioned food sovereignty. Uh, I know you've talked about salmon before. Do you still have the uh, Sawak Basin Oyster Farm? Yes, we do. Uh, we are growing, uh, we're harvesting right now. We have a couple of million oysters in the basin. We can wrap it up as well. We're just being careful. Any, for every action, there's an opposite and an equal reaction. I think, I think the uh, oysters are a good thing, but you're always going to have impacts, and you've got to be careful, and the, the oysters come out really well. And, you know, part of the reasons why we want to grow oysters is if you go full circle, you can invest in bringing back the Olympic oyster, which was prevalent on our beaches, on our clam beaches, and they're, they're getting at risk right now. So our investment in economic development projects, the, the investment that goes full circle from, from what you make from our projects goes right back into the environment. So when I talk about growing oysters in the middle of the basin, those dollars are going to help uh, bring back the Olympic oyster, and I think that is very important. Now, is that something you're doing on your own, or are you working with uh, partners from outside community? 
Well, well, you know, it all stems down to South. It all stems to um, to all the people that live in in our territory. How we can work together as one, and then also what's that relationship like with the province and the federal government? And uh, again, it's empowerment. And then you know, over time, uh, that relationship is key. And uh, building a relationship, you can't put a timeline on that. And uh, you have to prove it. You know, you have to see it. You have to feel it. And uh, if you see all of these beaches filled with uh, Olympic oysters, that is all you need to get everyone to buy in to say, uh, let's think about what this place looked like before contact and let's get back to it. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, is this something that continues to evolve as well, Chief? I mean, can the land code help you in terms of new economic development or new energy projects? Well, you know what you, you can consider in the next few decades is new innovation. Like, I mean, everyone's doing their thing around the globe. And, you know, we dabbled in other things. We looked at wave energy. Uh, I went to Europe to speak at a conference on kite power, believe it or not. But uh, people are doing things all over the world to look for the next energy resource. The other thing about it is, is when it comes, we, we, we don't want to commercialize it. So, so you're actually putting a negative spin on power production. I think it's something where all these communities in Canada can all come together and say, uh, how can we work together to save, save on food costs and, and power costs and work on a, on a lighter footprint approach? And how do we get there? And I think the only way to get there is seeing it. We have to see it like a little bit at a time until it gets bigger and then get everybody working together. And I, um, you know, with land code only covers Indian reserves and our elders always said, we have territories. We just don't want to work on our, on our villages, on reserve lands. We want to work on our whole territory because that's who we are as South people. We just want to be South. Yeah. I know the community I do some work with here in, in Nova Scotia or Mi'kma'ki, they're looking at additions to reserves now. I mean, they're in the developmental land code process, but they're still looking at building a land base that extends beyond the traditional reserve territory where they were forced so many years ago. Yeah. And again, I, I kind of voiced this earlier and I think, you know, if we're going to learn from our, our mistakes, we should improve upon them. And uh, again, I think, you know, after depleting a lot of resources in Canada, we have to start living a different way. I think with empowering First Nations and, and, and also former, formal recognition of their territories, um, all we're asking in South is, is making the past right. We had a lot of land in our territory that was wrongfully taken from us. And we would like to have that back for cultural health, you know, for food security and uh, be able to ensure that the next hundred years will be all right for our children and our children not born yet. Uh, I'll end with a quote, see if you know who it is. Uh, The beautiful thing about a land code is that you don't have to sell it. It sells itself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I like that because... um, It's your quote. Yeah, I know. You see the thing is, is that you don't have to read it in a book. 
uh, you'll see it. You'll feel it. Uh, you'll see the children change, and we'll we'll be able to have a place for our children that they could they could have that well-rounded uh, ability to to do things like our ancestors and managing the resources within the territories. But with it, they can use the Western science to share that knowledge in a way that everyone benefits. And I think our ancestors, the Coast Salish ancestors before us, they, they know that anybody that came to our territory, we took care of them and we shared and we taught them how to take care of it because we, you want to make sure that you're respectful of a return. And uh, I think we got away from that, but I think now we have to get back to it. And, and with it, you'll see it because what, what we've done is we built a foundation and that's just the beginning. Uh, it's, this is, this is well far in the future where we, you'll see those changes as we go year by year. Why don't we end with you giving maybe some advice to uh, any land managers, land department folks out there across Canada who are saying, should I explore this or should we as a community get into the land code process as so many already are? Well, I'd like to say um, with this in the beginning, with myself being a part of this process, I see it as a, a South, South member. And the thing is, is the ability to govern yourself in a good way and that can only happen uh, with a community-driven process. The community has to have the voice. And the community comes forward and says, this is the way I want to bring my children up. And this is the way we need to ensure that, that we put mechanisms in place that is fair for all. And then once you have that in place, it's easier moving to the next spot. Because you know what I truly believe? I truly believe if you empower all First Nations, First Nations uh, will make uh, revenues that will go back into their territory because that's the most important thing because they know that if you take care of your territory, your territory will take care of you and you'll take care of your children. So what I can say to those land managers coming up is that this is a legacy. Uh, this is the beginning. When we're not here anymore, all of us today, it's you have to keep this continuing because we're going to evolve into something we don't even know yet. So we have a lot of work to do because Canada is changing. And for us to change with Canada, we need to show that good governance structure at home. So I'll leave it at that. That's super. Well, I think what we'll need to do in the show notes is include a link to your website so people can learn more about you and your community and what you've done. Thank you, Chief, very much. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you as well. It was great to be a part of this. And uh, uh, I wish everyone a, a good day out there. And uh, think of all the gifts that Creator gave us. So thank you. Hushka. Hushka Sam.
The Land Decolonized podcast is brought to you by the First Nations Land Management Resource Center and is supported by the Lands Advisory Board. For up-to-date information on the land code, including governance tools, training materials, and much more, visit labrc.com. That's labrc.com. I'm Richard Perry. Thank you for listening.